You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just want to let you know that our friends at Outdoor Edge have partnered with some great brands to help bring your fall full circle with their field to freezer to fire giveaway. Here's how you enter. Go to their Facebook page and sign up to win some awesome prizes and packages from brands including Yeti, Weston, Bradley Smokers, and more. These are some awesome products that will help you process your game, keep your game in the freezer and eventually cook it for your table you have until january 15th to sign up so take advantage of that outdoor edge in the field to freezer to fire giveaway go to their facebook page and make it happen and if you decide to purchase any products from the website enter the discount code nation 30 that's the word nation with the number 30 after that, no spaces, Nation 30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 63, Sportsman's New Year's Resolution with Justin Townsend. Nick is joined by editor-in-chief of Harvesting Nature, Justin Townsend. Together, the two guys talk about ringing in the 2021 New Year with some resolutions for sportsmen. The list not only includes branching out into the kitchen, expanding our species list, but also about volunteering and help the wild places we all know and love. Justin finishes out by breaking down a squirrel chili that will get you excited about chasing bushy tails and a tuna burger that'll have you chartering your next deep sea adventure. All this and more on the next episode of Huntivore. Before we break into uh, this episode, I do want to share that even with 2020 being a very unusual year for a lot of people, it was a very successful one here at the Huntivore podcast. Growth in downloads, views on our videos, and even more folks following along with us on social media. It warms my heart to know that my passion of using and consuming wild game is shared by so many uh, of folks just like you. So thank you so much for following along. And I also have a favor to ask. 
Huntivore's Instagram currently sits at roughly 840 followers. Not that I really care how many numbers that are on there, but I think to help us out, I would love to see that by the end of January, get to 1,000. Can we break into four digits? Also, our ratings and reviews have all been positive, and I got 23 of them. I would like to see that get to 50 by the end of the month as well. All this is to help share our message of good utilization and delicious consumption of our wild game that we all love. So yeah, see if you can't help out with that. But hey, enough out of me. Let's break into our conversation with Justin. Well, hey, good evening, folks. Welcome to another episode here of The Huntivore. Um, I got someone tonight who uh, really uh, is going to bring some light to our new year as it, as it approaches here. I'm here with Justin Townsend. He is the editor-in-chief of a website and now podcast, Harvesting Nature. And Justin not only comes to us just as a guy who loves the outdoors, but is a trained chef and does a whole lot in the outdoors and even service for our country. So, Justin, thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening. And what is the temperature down there in Key West? Uh, well, today it's uh, it, it's a little chilly. I'll I'll give you that. So it's uh, right now. I just looked at my thermometer outside. It's it's sixty eight degrees. <laughs> so it's winter time for us. <laughs> it's it's funny to talk to somebody who's yeah we're we're in the same country, but at the same time, like here I am. I mean, it's it's down into the thirties. We may get to twenty tonight. And, uh, yeah, you're at 68 and throwing on the sweatshirt and maybe even thinking about uh, long pants at this point. Maybe, maybe. I'll go with the sweatshirt. I don't know about the long pants. It takes a lot to convince me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was another point that I was going to put out there. But, yeah, Justin, you're, you're, coming, you're living down in Key West. Uh, what's a guy in Key West do for his day job? Uh, so I am uh, I'm an officer in the Coast Guard, and – I won't get too detailed into it, just a lot of like admin and logistical work, but um, I, I've been in the Coast Guard for about five or six years now, and I uh, really enjoy it. So it's a fun line of work, lets me live in awesome places like Key West, and uh, have time to get outdoors as much as possible. So Now, do you use that fancy sonar equipment to scout for fish? I mean, I, I'll try to keep it as down low as possible, but I would go to say that that would be a hard thing that as you guys are scanning, you know, the shoreline and you're like, oh, take note that we've got uh, a school here on this shoal. I mean, unless you're like active out in the mission, it's it's kind of hard not to resist the temptation to go fishing off the back of one of the boats. Maybe not one of the smaller boats, but if you're on one of the bigger boats and you're you're out there for a little bit of time, it's a... a a lot of people use it as like a point to to bring up morale and have some fun with the crew is just to do fish calls and stuff. So, yeah, it, it may may utilize equipment like that sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know that at least my tax but my tax money's going to something uh, that I would approve of. So, excellent, excellent oh, yeah. work. <laughs> um, but yeah, editor in chief of this this website called Harvesting Nature is this uh, was this website of your was this your brainchild or was this like a group idea that just blossomed into this so it it really kind of it, it started as is a an idea that i had 
uh, and then throughout the years, it's kind of quickly grown and more people have jumped into the project and, and jumped into the concept. And uh, so I started, I guess I really founded it back in uh, 2011. So I'd been out of college for about a year and, and was uh, working cooking and kind of settling into that like post-collegiate life, like trying to figure out what I was going to do where I wanted to go. I had more free time because I wasn't going to class. And I was like, you know, let's, let's revisit my passion for the outdoors. And, and I kind of had that like aha moment. And I was like, you know what? I, I really love cooking. You know, I've been trained as a professional chef. I like writing, you know, I have a, a background and degrees in anthropology and geography. So like the whole cultural and, and uh, geological side of things kind of all ties. So I said like, let's bring it all together. And uh, that sort of laid the foundation um for what you know is harvesting nature today and then you know throughout the years with with the help of the many writers that have come through and individuals like Corey who he currently produces our podcast but Corey came on as a as a writer and then he was a managing editor for a while and it's just kind of we've just had a lot of really great people come and work in different aspects of of harvesting nature and, and it's really just turned it into the the awesome I guess, content machine that it is today. Yeah, I got my start in the outdoor world in 2010. Um, and from that point, I mean, I'd always been in the outdoors, but this is the finally the step that I was like, okay, I'm going to start looking more into what I'm eating. And mm -hmm. I think through my like quick Google searches then at that point, um, that was one of the first things that came up was this new page called Harvesting Nature. And it really kind of was like something like I could grab onto. And I was like, this, this is what I think hunting is about. This is something that I can get on board with. Um, you know, I, I look at some, some shows out there, whatnot, they're, they're talking about the big buck. They're talking about the, the antlers and, you know, have the patterning this thing. And then at some point it was like, nothing ever like charged me up, but then, coming by another a new recipe on something it was like oh man now i now i really want to get another deer so i can try that recipe so i think there's going to be a whole crowd that really just jumps on board with what you guys have put together and I, I, we we really enjoy doing it and i think that that passion shines through in in the work of every writer that we have and i think last count we had, we have about 25 riders that contribute in addition to myself. And then we have like a sort of administrative team that, that manages stuff too. But, you know, just the ability to, for me to create something, cause I'm, I'll naturally put together recipes no matter what, like, even though I'm just cooking for my family. And I said, let's put pen to paper because maybe I'm not the only one that will enjoy this. And, you know, I don't really, you don't know until you share. And it's, uh, I think it's that sharing point just, you with the idea of like let's create something maybe somebody wants to get involved in this maybe they want to be more proactive in hunting maybe they want to fish more but at the end of the day they they get nervous about it because they're like what do i do with this i mean and in some cases it's it's pretty daunting oh for sure for sure and then yeah if you if you didn't have access to basically a website like yours like you'd be sitting there like mm -hmm. oh, i'm trying to make i'm trying to make venison off from a beef recipe here and some of this stuff isn't translating as far as cooking times, and I don't know how this yep. reacts. So, yeah, to have somebody with that experience to basically give, like, hey, this is, you know, we've done this before. Here's what you should try. Here's what you should do. I think that would that would really help out, I'd say, even new folks as they come into hunting that 
they have some place that they can go to to figure out what to do with, yeah, you know, 40, 50 pounds of meat that all of a sudden they have to do something with. Absolutely, yeah. I, I agree. And then we toss out this whole concept of, like, venison diplomacy and, and the idea that, that food is a gateway into into hunting and angling. And, and I think that rings so much truth. You know, uh, there's been organizations like QDMA that have come out and uh, they just host events where they just serve venison. They're like, hey, try it. And if you really like it, like, we can teach you how to get it yourself. And it's such a – I think it's a, such a valuable tool, tool for the continuity of, of – of our lifestyle really. And this is something you've not just grabbed on as to, as an adult, you actually took a little break. Um, I think as, as most people do, uh, you get out of high school, you start living on your own. You gotta, you gotta figure out this college thing. You gotta figure out this, uh, after high school education, and then you get yourself in the workforce. And then in your standpoint, you came back to the woods, back to the outdoors, um, mm-hmm. where then you were able to then express this whole idea. What was it like for Justin growing up in the outdoors? What kind of story was built with Justin and being a small child in the woods? Uh, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, let me think back in my memory bank. Um, no, so it, we were, we were, very involved in the outdoors growing up you know i i grew up in southeastern oklahoma in a very rural place like my my hometown had about mm, between 12 and sixteen thousand people roughly and a lot of agriculture based a lot of wide open spaces land and uh my family were huge hunters and anglers uh my grandfather kind of introduced me a lot into the sports uh of both and getting me out on my first deer hunts and then connecting me with individuals who would continue to mentor me you know through high school and and growing older and really like some of my earliest memories are going out fishing you know just largemouth bass fishing or uh fishing for like crappie and perch and all those things uh that would then be turned into table fare like we would go and I can remember it like it was yesterday, bringing fish home, and we had an old concrete porch out front of the house, and we'd put out newspaper. My grandfather, they'd fillet. They'd just spend like, you know, an hour, two hours filleting fish, and then it, you know, it went to the fryer or whatever we were cooking. But food played such a, a huge role in my house, and that connection with like growing your own food through farming or through smaller gardens, and the going out and hunting and fishing for food, it it helps supplement a lot of. Uh, a lot of other meals that we would have otherwise. Yeah. I, I took an excerpt um, actually from the website here. Um, and this is a quote from, from the actual website. It says, Harvesting Nature was established to educate and entertain those who have a passion for the outdoors and for those who wish to become more involved in the outdoors. Take their life into their own hands by sourcing their own food from the wilderness. In your opinion, why is it so important that folks reconnect with their food? You know, whether it be meat, whether it be vegetable, why is it so important, in your opinion, that people have this connection? I, I think, like, first, I, I think of, like, my mind as a chef. And, like, every good chef wants to know the origin story. You want to know where it came from, who handled it, how it was grown, because, you know, you're going to show it love in the kitchen it being the food and you're hoping that the the origin story of it coming from the farm or you know the wild or wherever it's harvested or grown or caught 
that it's it's shown that same love. So really, I think the connection begins there to say, understand how it came to be, how it moved from point A to B to the kitchen to the plate. And then the third is like, it's, it's a trust thing too. Like I, you know, I put out food for my family every day and I really want to trust, like I said, the origins, but I want to trust that it's handled properly, that it's not mishandled, that, you know, it, that care is taken towards it. And I think the main thing is with understanding and reconnecting with your food is that you're understanding the work that it takes to create it or grow it or harvest it or hunt it or fish it. But you're also understanding the sacrifice because anything you take and that you're consuming is at one point was, or, you know, living. So you're looking at how is that sacrifice important to me? How do I understand to say, Hey, food is much more than a piece of meat that I just go buy at the store or something that's wrapped in plastic or cellophane. And then I throw in the microwave, like, there's something there and and i think there's a lot of disconnect in modern times where that has happened and and that was probably one of the main reasons to kind of loop back that that i created harvesting nature was the fact that like we have to maintain the continuity and, and the understanding of where our food comes from because our food is is everything to us it's our culture it's it's the people we are you know we meet around it we celebrate families with it you know everything yeah. Yeah. And I, as I am raising my own kids right now, I got three young ones and to have them either a go drag the deer out of the woods for me, which I mean, toting along a three-year-old and a six-year-old with the flashlight. I tell you, that's a, that's an undertaking. <laughs> that's more of a workout a, for myself. Yeah. Um, but the Certainly an exercise in patience. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my couple episodes ago, I I basically told the story of yeah, getting my little buck that I did this year, last day archery, got it like woohoo, and I brought two of them out, and it turned into almost like a little western hunt because I had to drag the deer twenty yards and then go back to get the pouting child because I oh. ended up, he ended up going down to the bottom of a ravine and then couldn't climb back out, but was mad when I went down and picked him up. And so now he's pouting. So I had to drag deer, go back, pick up child, drag child. I shouldn't say drag oh, child, pick up child, carry child. <laughs> it's like but, twice the workout. Oh, I tell you, man, it felt I, I refer to that now as little Colorado. It's by no means elevation. <laughs> it's by no means actually what it is. But I got a, I got a small taste of, of what to expect out west. Uh, but hailing from Key West, it sounds to me like when it comes to the hunt, angling side, I mean, you're in Mecca right there. People come to actually you mm-hmm. at that point. You've got a whole host of saltwater at that point. Um, is there any freshwater on uh, Key West where you can do some freshwater fishing, or is it pretty much uh, deep sea offshore down there in Key West? No, so it's uh, no no freshwater here. Uh, Key West itself is uh, a two mile by five mile island so and we're we're as the crow flies 90 miles from cuba and about 130 miles from miami so we're actually closer to cuba than we are to the walmart in miami so which is interesting <laughs> <laughs> but um as far as fishing goes i mean yeah like you said saltwater mecca uh i do i do a, a good amount of spear fishing. Uh, I won't say that I'm great at it, but uh, it was one of my 
2020 resolutions to get back into it and to uh, pursue it more. And I've got a great group of friends here that, that we go out pretty regularly and go spearfish. And then um, into the saltwater fly fishing, just getting into that, uh, you know, targeting some ironically enough fish you can't eat. But uh, I'm in my, my last last uh, half a year here in QF before I'll move. And so I want to I want to catch some of those like iconic fish of the Florida Keys, you know, like the tarpon, the permit, the bonefish, uh, all those guys on the fly. So um, definitely involved in that. But I would say the the fish reigns pretty supreme here is uh finds its way to the plate at least once or twice a week for sure excellent yeah we're in this odd place right here in michigan where i mean it's deer season and we got small game coming up and all the water is not hard yet so it's like there's this there's this hoping point that everything ices over real thick so that we can get back to fishing again uh you know be able to be on the ice at that point We've got some good aspirations for that. So, yeah, being down there in Key West to be able to fish 365, I'm sure that's just something that any Key Wester is not going to overlook, that opportunity. No, no, it's a great opportunity. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The thought of ice fishing terrifies me. Like, it's it's on my bucket list, but I'm like, I don't know. I've tried to... I tried to wrap my head around that in some recent conversations about people telling me how much I should go ice fishing. And I was just like, this whole thought blows my mind. (laughs) (laughs) It, uh, it's one of those things like a, you have to be trusting of the ice and you to have someone who's seasoned enough to be able to do that. But at the same time, just to be able to, you know what, I'm going to take some precautions. I'm not going to stand super close to anybody. It's basically the first the first social distancing that everybody loved. <laughs> but then at that point you get thick enough ice. Well, then you can, you can only start bringing people closer together. Um, I've never been in a situation where I have people bringing vehicles on. I get, apparently that's a big thing where you can just like drive up, bring your truck or your whatever onto the ice. Uh, we're, we're not at that point for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm also a pretty short guy and pretty heavy guy. So when it comes to like, floating that's a that's a difficult task for me you take that piece of bread and lay it out and it'll float in the water while i'm the crumpled up piece of bread that then sinks to the bottom so i'm definitely always like this better be some thick ice because uh i don't i don't want to i don't want to work on my swim lessons right now anyway yeah no not not a time to take a a a polar bear plunge (laughs) um so being in Key West again, really small area, fishing's the big thing. You probably have to do a lot of traveling when it comes to wanting to get into bigger game or even some small game for that point. You're, you probably spend a lot of time on the road then. Yep, yep. Um, I would say uh, we're at least traveling uh, once a month. And I, I say traveling, um, we may go up to the mainland. So like the, the nearest productive public land is about four hours from here uh up in kind of like south central florida and uh that's where we'll go uh pretty regularly we've we've explored some of the areas further south of that but then you get kind of in the everglades areas and water becomes an issue alligators become an issue all those things so um we, we do have to deal with that a little bit more um but then i i try to get uh on the road out of state um i spent about weeks up in Wyoming in October and then I'm headed up to uh, back to my home state 
in Oklahoma uh, in January to finish out the the archery season up there. So try and try to get around as much as we can for for whatever. But you definitely have to be flexible and creative when it comes to hunting from Key West. Yeah, because at that point it's got to be a specific trip for a specific type of animal. That that point you're not like a, and on the mainland we kind of just wait for that certain season to roll around where you got to be very calculated on where you're going at what time yep yeah and it's uh and you know we have a good amount of public land here in florida a lot of it's not as accessible as it should be but um they do have some of the wildlife management areas that are those are the state lands they they have quota permits you can draw and put into that for turkey and deer and, and wild pig and then all those other opportunities so just kind of trying to figure that out and, and we plan a lot of our hunts around that if we're going to stay in state for sure gotcha your favorite critter then since you have to be so calculated in figuring out <laughs> where to go which critter do you enjoy chasing the most oh hands down antelope pronghorn antelope in wyoming is like one of my favorite hunts uh i will try to hunt it in some capacity like every year um three times i've, I've been up in wyoming and and have been fortunate enough to meet success there so uh it's really just a fun animal to hunt good deal now that's probably a, a spot and stalk sort of scenario yep. lay out lay yep. out a little bit like let's say you got the Lay out the approach do you have to the perfect setup for going after one of these antelope? Um, I, I would say, so per, first off, like once, once you're able to see them, antelope, for those who don't know, like it's the fastest land mammal in North America. I think it's the second fastest in the world. Or maybe, maybe I'm getting that mixed up. By the way, super fast animal. And uh, their eyesight's incredible. Really, their only defense is they just run. And they'll, they'll run like 40 miles an hour. And so when they see something that they, they don't like, they'll first kind of stare at it for about two, three minutes, and then they'll just bolt. And then the whole herd, no matter if they know what's going on, will, will run with it. So then you get this herd of 20 or 30 antelope just running off into the distance, and there's no hope as a human to really catch up with them unless you're very strategic. But I would say once you spot a herd uh, from a distance, at whatever distance that you see them from is, is one to – sort of get out of sight um, and then get in a way where you can observe them for a little while to, to see what they're doing. Are they like hanging around eating? Are they headed to water? Are they, you know, moving throughout the middle part of the day? Like you have to really understand kind of what the herd's doing. And then you want to position yourself uh, to where you can basically surprise them. Uh, and you're trying to get within, you know, under 300 yards, uh, under 250, I think, my range is probably comfortable range 200 to 250, I would say, to, to take a shot depending on wind and environmentals. But um, you're trying to get as close as possible uh, without spooking the herd. So, and it's it's almost just like an ambush. Gotcha. Yeah, it has sort of the same idea that we do of whitetail here in the Midwest, but at the same time, we don't do the spot and spot thing. We just set up and, and wait. And we've we've mm -hmm. planned all year for when they're going to be coming through, so. You enjoy chasing the antelope. Now we're going to open that back up again. What's your favorite critter to eat? Oh, man. Um, I am going to be difficult. I'm going to make you pick something. <laughs> favorite critter to eat. Um, it's such a hard one. 
I would say rabbit. I'm, I like rabbit a lot. Like cottontail rabbit. Um, I've had jackrabbit, not quite as much my favorite, but the cottontails, I, I dig. Those are good. Good deal. What about the rabbit that makes it, that's high on your list? Um, I think it's got, so you know how squirrel tends to be a little drier, a little more sinewy? I think that, that rabbit has more of a, a little bit of fat presence in there. Um, they tend to retain a little bit more moisture, a little better. So there's a little bit of flexibility in when cooking the meat. Gotcha. And maybe the fact that there is more meat there, it's not one of those things yep. as soon as it touches flame, boom, that sucker's done. It's yeah. uh, You can have a time to roast the rabbit. You actually have a little bit of uh, forgiveness there just with the size of it. Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review, uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company, who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. So we are recording this still in 2020, this large dark cloud but let's imagine because the release of this episode is going to be in the new year so let's imagine like it really is 2021 like holy crap justin we we made it we made it through (laughs) this year uh and now just like with any year we've got goals we've got aspirations this is going to be our year and people make these resolutions you know they might head over to the gym and be there for maybe three weeks and uh then then say they're done or just forget about what they're doing or they're really they're really going to get organized this year but at the same time like myself I still have piles of just junk I know what's in those piles but there's still just piles everywhere (laughs) what if what if we just take this first jump into 2021 and we figure out some resolutions, not only for ourselves, but also for our fellow sportsmen, that maybe this is going to be the first year that you're going to do something here uh, in 2021? How does that sound there, Justin? I, I like it. I think that, that, could, uh, that could be helpful, I think, for us to set some goals and, and for, for those who maybe have it on their mind, but maybe want something more than like you said, just hitting the gym. Good deal. Good deal. Cause yeah, I, I do have aspirations of hitting the gym. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a long sort of thing. I need more motivation than just I have, looking good. That's, I have <laughs> those, uh, those aspirations like every day and they, they wax and wane <laughs> at certain <laughs> points. <laughs> All right. So we've got a list here. Um, and the game was, I, I set this up just today too. So I also threw it at Justin. So if Justin is still struggling to figure out his, uh, his side of it, I, Give him some grace here. But I said, hey, each side's going to come up with three resolutions. 
And not only are we going to give it, but we're also going to answer it. So as, at that point, we will then have our in total six resolutions that we're going to throw out for the world to then hold us accountable to, or at least for us now to be able to hold other account or other hunters accountable to. Uh, I'll start. I'll kick it off. And for my first resolution, it is to cook a cut slash organ of a familiar hunted animal that I've never cut or used before. So I'll, it's causing me to then have to dig deeper into something that I think I already know a lot about. The, the cut that I want to do more with slash organ is I've, I talk a big game around the idea of the tongue. I have several tongues saved, but I still have not pulled the trigger on making the tongue taco. That has been that that organ that I just have not pulled the trigger on. Maybe it's because I haven't had the taco night with the audience that I was hoping to serve these two. Because <laughs> I don't, like, my uh, my immediate family, they love to eat wild game. My brother and my my parents they're not hunters at all so they they they're always looking in at what is nick eating at this point so it's a, they're a tough crowd to serve to but to have like some people that would be open to the idea of tongue tacos that's my cut that i have that i'm hoping to make 2021 really uh come to life i think that's a i think that's a good aspiration i think uh like tongue taco or, or lingua uh, it, if you're going the traditional route with like beef from a from a taco truck, maybe it's such a good it's such a good cut. Uh, I haven't played around too much with the venison tongue uh, at all. I have I actually have an antelope tongue in my freezer that I brought back from Wyoming that I have the same intentions. I just haven't in the same way I haven't pulled the trigger yet on it. Yeah, it's every time that I want to do it. Like, well, a COVID hit and. One thing to do is like to do like a big night where I do bring mm-hmm. bring my buddies who would be open to the idea to have them all over to to try it. And it's like that was taken away this year. And so maybe we can finally get towards the end of the year. Maybe that'll be our big celebration. Uh once we can have people come together. I know we're still shut down here in Michigan. Um, but to be able to then and when everybody can come over to be like, All right, hey, we're doing tacos lengua and that would be uh uh, an awesome thing that I would I would like to do. In when as I was making this, there's also this this gentleman by the name of Alan Burgo. Are you are you uh, familiar with Alan or his handle Forager Chef on Instagram, uh, Justin? I am. Yeah, you are. I, I do. I, I follow him, and uh, I, I saw the article. I think you're going to mention or the recipe. Yeah. So in looking for figuring out which one do I want to do, I happened to then like take a break and I jumped over onto social media and boom, this, I actually wasn't following Alan. It just came across on my feed somehow. Um, But the idea, he does a whole write up on venison trotters. And yes, that is exactly what it sounds like, folks. It's using the (laughs) hoof of venison to, in order to make edible eats from it and it, just seeing the the art like the first article headline, and I was like, "Okay, Alan, you got me. Click. <laughs> I bought in. I'm going to figure this out." <laughs> and uh, the way he was describing like 
how how you are going to be able to uh, extract nour- nourishment from this and be able to pull the pieces out. And there was a couple dishes that I was like, yeah, forget that. <laughs> we're not there yet. That's not what we're going to be able to do. Uh, but watch or talking him talking about making or just adding it to the stockpot. Or he did his own where he smoked them and then put the whole trotters in by themselves and did a smoked trotter uh, broth or a stock. And it was like, you know what? That might be a good start for using the trotter. I don't know if trotter is going to make it into my 2021 list, though, Justin. I think I'm not quite there yet for it. I mean, I I don't know. I find myself pretty adventurous when it comes to the kitchen and, like, uh, creating stuff, but I don't know. Uh, I I definitely can get behind, you know, uh, hooves and bones for the stock pot, but I don't know. I see in here he mentions uh, the hoof oyster, which is a concerning, a concerning <laughs> term. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would have chosen that name, but it does explain what it is. It, it uh, does. The, the inside of the hoof, there's a nugget of meat bliss most people will never try, and that's a quote off his website. So I don't know. I, I'm not going to say no, I wouldn't try it, but I think I would have to be in a position where I'd be like, I would have to be pretty dedicated one to have the forethought of like, I need to save the, the feet. Um, but also to like plan it. Cause when, when I start going down paths where I'm, I'm trying new stuff that's definitely outside of my comfort zone, I want to make sure I have enough space and enough time to kind of do it right. Yes. Yes. You hit that nail right on the head. Now, if I were to just eat it, let's say that we happen to just, head on over to Alan's restaurant or where he's cooking that evening. And I've had several bush lattes prior to being served. <laughs> and he slides a basket of trotter oysters over to me. You know, I'd, I'd be inclined to give it a try knowing that I've got my, <laughs> knowing that I got my bush to then wash it down with. Um, oh, I'm yeah. certainly a fan of, of giving it a shot, but I think like you said, like, there's going to be an element of like, all right, I got to make sure I get this right. Just because there's, just looking at it seems like there's so much that could go wrong at that point. I'm also thinking about having or the point of explaining this to my wife of like what I'm doing. <laughs> I said, she got me, she got me one time. Uh, I was roasting tuna heads in the, uh, in the stove and like smoked out the whole house. And uh, I didn't live that down for a couple months because it just smelled like roasted fishy mess and, the soup was great, but the, the the cooking of it, and I imagine I see this falling in line with one of those scenarios. <laughs> yeah. What the hell are you doing? Uh, mm-hmm. Dinner? <laughs> <laughs> I've also got a good friend who he's got a he's got a dog who's trained to track deer and track uh, wounded deer uh, via blood or or scent or whatever. And so anytime that I have gotten a deer, like all those all those hooves those yeah the from the knuckle from basically the knee down heads over to uh that buddy that that's i think going to be another transition that i'm going to be like listen uh you know old bird dog isn't going to have any hooves from this deer like what do you what do you mean <laughs> like well i i plan on eating them myself <laughs> so that's going to be a yeah. tough conversation with him yeah I don't know. You don't want to burn any bridge either, especially if you get a 
maybe a deer you need some help tracking too he'd be like remember that time that you didn't bring those deer hooves over i know well i haven't cut them off yet i haven't had to do that yet and i i've i've left him fully supplied i've i got two to him and then we've got a couple uh road to plates a couple savage tags that we've been able to to send over to him so he's fully stocked but yeah it's just one of those where we have to hide a couple just for experimentation He's like, wait, this deer only had two legs. <laughs> I know, it's such a weird thing out there. <laughs> You're like, just, just look away, look away. <laughs> All right, throw a resolution at us there, Justin. Um, so hmm, I would say hunt a new species in a new state. And that means for me that I want to, one, get out of my comfort zone, um, by not going with sort of the normal lineup. Now, I'll probably hunt some of the normal lineup, but in addition, I would like to go to some place I haven't hunted before in another state. So then I got to figure out the the system of of laws that govern that state, pick a species, and then a target area to go. And um, I think for me, it, it's a good learning moment. Uh, one, it puts new game on the table that I get to learn to cook and play around with. And then two, it's just an adventure. Yeah. So. No, oh, that's an excellent resolution. Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know what? I have, I think I have some contacts still here in the Midwest, so I'm not going too far. I'm going across the big lake of Lake Michigan and heading over to Wisconsin. And okay. I have... I have some contacts over there that I think I could jump in and do some waterfowling with them. Ooh, not that not that waterfowl isn't here in Michigan, um, but seeing how my wife knows these other contacts, that might also help in the like, hey, let's let's all go here. Let's make this a family thing and offer me more time in the duck blind or the goose blind. But I think that might be a good jump into figuring out this waterfowl thing. I, I, I love the idea of it. Timing has always just been tough, and with the young kids, mm, it, it's I can't do I can't invest into big time deer season and the waterfowl at the same time. So it's like if I could piggyback. Now I still like your idea of having to go new new state, new rules. I got to figure all that out. What are the regulations? I know mm-hmm. there's there can only be three in the tube, um, but at the same time, like whole new place that we're going to have to figure out and for me to not just be dead weight in the blind to just be a gun but to be able to offer some sort of like well when i was looking at the map this area looked good and this area looked good to actually be invested in the hunt i like that yep i like that yeah and i think water waterfowl too is one of those things that it's it's while it's fun to try to figure it out too on your own if you've got some people that do it in another place then it's a good uh, learning point because they generally have the experience. But also, if you're new to waterfowling, they have more than just a local experience. They have kind of a general experience that you can bring back with you. Yes, yes. Um, I do find, just the couple times that I've gone here in Michigan, it's, a you know, being a at that point a solo deer hunter and then uh, switching over to basically a team sport at that point where – the rules of engagement are not just you versus one critter. It's, you know, we got to, we got to time this all out together. 
and how mm-hmm. there, there's one person calling it and then you have a zone and you not only you are mixing you know your dynamic with the animal but now you have like a whole spread to be able to or a whole flock of people that now you're coordinating with it just offers a whole new spectrum that i was like man this is a whole new ball game i didn't know what i was getting into yeah yeah i think it's good though that's a good point so I'm I'm looking at mine. I, I have two two hunts in mind, and it, they've already kind of I've started the planning phase. But either uh, orcs in New Mexico or black bear in Oregon. So those are kind of way far away for me, but still kind of a dream hunts that I'll continue to stack on the, on my uh, plans until I can actually pull the trigger. But those that's the two big ones I'm looking at next year. Wow. Now is the the oryx is well it's a it's a non native. Do you mm-hmm. still have to put in for a tag for an oryx? Yep. Yep. So you put in so there's as I understand it and I'm still learning a lot. And I think there's a uh Steve Ranella, they cover it in the meteor episode kind of more in depth, but um there's the White Sands Missile Range, which is in New Mexico, there's a population that lives on the range, and there's a population that lives off the range. They kind of move back and forth. There's also a couple other spots in New Mexico where they've they've moved and settled. Um, and you basically they I think run tag they run hunts all throughout the year. Um, so it, it's kind of a I don't know the chances or the odds. I haven't dug that much into it, but yeah, you have to put in for a draw. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think I did hear that episode from, from the old mothership there at, uh, at media. <laughs> it was, it was a very, it was very interesting, uh, on how they were. Yeah. Like, you know, when they, when they were talking with locals, like, Hey, I got a tag. Oh, on range, off range. You know, it was, that yeah. was the very first question they would ask. Apparently, like being on range, like that's the once in a lifetime. Whereas, you know, being off range, like, oh, cool, you got one. You know, it's not necessarily, I mean, it's cool you got a tag, but it's not like the trophy tag, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think when the hunting pressure kicks up off range, that the, the animals migrate onto the range because it's limited access. Naturally. Naturally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, also, you know, being in the military, I, I have the unique um, position because base access and stuff like that for me is a little different. So there are a lot of bases around the U.S. that do offer hunting. Um, so I'm trying to explore those opportunities as well. Ooh, that would be good. A mm-hmm. Coast Guard guy trying to get onto a desert missile range. <laughs> good luck. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh what's what's your what's your second one all right my second one and i'm sure this is one that we deal with on an everyday basis so this does go general um not out to just me and you which is this is something mm-hmm. we've we've grabbed on to um but just to the general hunting public as well that i'd love to see more of this, just as you said earlier, that like either a venison diplomacy or a wild boar diplomacy, but to serve wild game to a non non hunter or someone unfamiliar to wild game, and to bring our message more of not so much, hey, look at this buck that I shot, check out its rag, it scored this, but as a way to be like, 
you know what, hey, we're on a road trip and we're, we're with these other people and, uh, hey, try this venison stick. Or be able to, you know, have you ever had venison? Well, no, I haven't. Well, hey, let come over for dinner and we'll, we'll do a venison spread for you. And just to be able to share our passion, uh, not only for the culinary side of things, making the, the, the protein sing, but at the same time be able to say, hey, this is, this is my lifestyle. If I could eat this every single day, I would. And I want to share that with you, I think is a very, very powerful message as we go forward into this, uh, I'd say something more, I don't want to say jarring, but like this, this day and age where people will make assumptions about the other side of whatever issue and to come to the middle of that and be able to offer like, well, before you start to tear my head off at this point, snack on this for a minute. And now (laughs) we can have a conversation at that point. So that's my big push is to be able to find how to figure out who to serve wild game to. That's not a, not a a non-hunter or someone unfamiliar to wild game. I think that's great. And, uh, it, I think it opens it opens a lot of points for conversation and, and uh, allows you to bring them into sort of the community aspect too, the communal aspect of like hunting and, and fishing um, by using food as, as that medium. So I like it. Yeah, and I think that's how I've gotten into, I mean, a lot of conversations too, just being able to, like you said, just have to have jerky on the ready or to have a snack stick on the ready, just to be even at a setting where it's not necessarily like a debate where I have to then give you my, my five points at that point. It's more or less saying like, I'm, I'm bringing a human element to this, that mm-hmm. it's, this is something we can all agree on. Food is something we can all agree on. And I mean, the, the statistic is out there that it's overwhelming if presented in a way where, how do you feel about people hunting for food? There is a staggering big number of people that are in favor of that. It's a, it's a high number. But then as soon as you start adding in, well, how do you feel about trophy hunting? How you you know bring the question to the folks, well, how, what do you think of trophy hunting? And it's overwhelmingly down at that point. People are looking at that end result. People are looking at what are your motives and if your motives are sustenance and food and being able to use the animal, I would say properly, more and more people are willing to either give it a try or be like, you know what? Yeah, let's go. Take me out hunting. Yep. And I think even giving them that food and giving them the time to chew gives you time to present your case without a, a point for objection. But, um, uh, I, I think it's man, it's it's such a positive thing. Those the food element, and I mean it's it's the true nature of hunting. It's the origin of hunting. There's something natural about it that just hey, here's here's something I harvested, or you know hunted, shot, whatever you want to, whatever term you want to use, and this is me sharing it with you. Good. I hope a lot of people jump on that one this year. And I think that's, I mean, I don't want to say it's its not a hard one. It's not an intimidating one, I think, at that point. I mean, unless you're you're trying something new. I wouldn't say take a brand new recipe that you're making that you haven't worked with enough and then expose new people to it 
just for the sake of, I want you to be familiar with, with what you're giving to other folks. Cause you know, you come up with one and you're like, you know what, man, that just, that didn't work. And now you've got someone who was already like mm, venison. Yeah. It does not work. <laughs> I, I would also say, I would caution this and, and say that don't try to go after people, after people who are like radically opposed to it, like with the notion that like that vegan over there or that vegetarian or that person that doesn't like wild game at all, it says that it's completely terrible. Like, I'm going after them. Like, it's okay to just, it's okay to be like, hey, you're marginally indifferent to wild game or you've never had the opportunity to have it. Like, come over here and try this versus like, hey guys, I know that you're opposed to hunting and eating any meat. Like, try this venison that I shot. Like, I don't know that that would go over as well. Yeah, baby steps, baby steps at this point. All right. What was your second uh, resolution there, Justin? Oh, volunteer. Volunteer for conservation. Okay, explain more. All right. So um, I'm going to be planning and putting a lot of time with uh, backcountry hunter and anglers this year. So um, we're already working on some plans with the team there, but um, going beyond just the realm of food, uh, looking to – go up volunteer some hours for some cleanups, introducing new hunters to the sport, going meeting at, at hunts and, and really just learning and talking more about conservation, about backcountry hunter and anglers, their role in conservation, but it's not just limited to them. I mean, you know, you have QDMA, which I think just changed their name. Um, I think it's like the national deer association or something like that. They yeah. I think that recently. was just, yeah, very recent. Yeah. Uh, you got Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever. On the fishing side, you got Captains for Clean Water. You got, uh, oh gosh, there's tons of them. Reef Relief. There's there's a bunch down here very, being in a very fishing-centric place. But it's just like finding a way to carve out a little time where you may not be hunting or fishing to put time into something that's going to protect hunting and fishing. So whether you're working, cleaning up the environment, or you're talking to people about the importance of public lands, or, you know, you're talking to them about uh, the good work that any of these organizations are doing, like just trying to find ways to be more involved. So I think that's, that's for me, uh, my number two. Awesome. Awesome. I'm glad you put that on there. The aspirations are there. And I've got a couple avenues that I've actually, like you, I've been toying with. Um, Sportsman's Nation is uh, is a big uh, proponent of two percent for conservation. Mm-hmm. I already give two percent of my profits to uh, <laughs> to the organization. What's what's two percent of zero? Oh yeah, zero. <laughs> <laughs> so I might have to just double up. I might just have to go a full two percent of volunteer. I think that's what I'll have to do is just f- fully yeah. go in until we start making some profits here at this point. It's uh, it's what they say, sweat equity. There you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, that, uh, field to fork program, I know you were, you were alluding to it a little bit from the organization formerly known as QDMA. It might be deer, <laughs> a deer association. I, or I, I, I forget the actual name of it, but that field to fork pro- program is super cool that, yeah, it brings in people that are interested in hunting, but they just don't, 
they're well at the same time they're like I don't I don't know who to ask I've never done this before if there was a class and there was someone that could go along with me and to be able to jump in as a mentor and be like you know what I started from square one and I'd love to share my knowledge with you and here we go let's go try to find a deer and to just be with it along with them every step of the way not just well, you shot a deer. Good job, and I'll see you later. But then at that point, like, no, no, we gotta, we gotta drag it out. Now we're gonna have to gut it. We're gonna have to hang it up. We're gonna have to process it to be with them through that whole process. That yep. can be daunting and can be that barrier where it's like I, I've never done this before, and that scares me to be able to just be there and be like, hey, I got your back. We can totally do this. So no, I'm, I'm also looking at that as well. Uh, and I guess, yeah, now it's, oh, it's locked on to audio. So now I got to be held to it. Darn it. <laughs> no, and I, I, I kid, I, but I, I am looking forward to that whole idea. In fact, your, your second relates into, uh, my third, which is teach someone who is interested in hunting, how to, how I hunt. So there's a lot of different forms of it. Let me show you where I'm from and to be able to, sh- to teach that to somebody. And I kind of twofold it as well is to also humble myself and be able to learn how to hunt something new from someone else to take off the instructor hat or the teacher hat and put on the student hat to make myself into a position where it's like, I now have to be paying attention and not just in autopilot as I go for my same species every single time. But now I'm in a new location. Like you were saying, go to a new spot that's going to challenge me. I do want to learn from someone new, from someone else to glean some information from them because ultimately that's going to make me a better hunter. And by putting these two together, it does form a bit of a relationship at that point where it's like, Come with me. I'll provide one spot, and then B. Now, hey, you provide a spot, and then show me what you do. That would be that's my number three. That's a good one. I think I, I like the aspect of both teaching and learning. Like it's a it's a constant it's a constant circle that I think that um, as as a person who enjoys the outdoors, as a hunter and angler, that it's very important to continue that cycle of teaching and learning. All right. Hit us with your last one there, Justin. With my last one. So it actually, it kind of stems a lot off yours too. Um, But it's like, uh, for me, it would be sort of looking at at an education point. And one, like I say learning, but for me, I think it's more uh, the creating and teaching side. So I want to create more content in uh in 2021 so i want to put out a new book of some sort i've got some ideas in the works but uh haven't firmed up on one yet and then we i want to dance over into the side of video so get into more of the film side of things but with the purpose of not just like hey here's my experiences in the world but it's like here's here's what i've learned and here's what i'm learning and i want to share it with you so same same concept as we always do but um, in a different medium. I like it. I like it. I even find myself, and granted, this is my own, like, maybe this is me just getting old. Like, I, my father would watch, like, news. Or I shouldn't say news. He'll, he'll watch the Weather Channel, just constant radar. 
and be content with that. And it's like I find myself like I can't it's hard to get into a new show or something if it's just entertainment based, if it's not mm-hmm. if I'm not gleaning something from it. So I do find myself like on these other mediums where it's like I I could rot my brain by watching this sitcom and like having a good feel for, you know, 20 minutes or whatever it is long on Netflix. Or I could look up like what 10 people have done for a different way of, of processing their venison. Or I could look up, you know, I, I got my own little wood shop down there. That's like my third or maybe my 10th hobby that I seem to have. <laughs> <laughs> but how's this guy put together a drawer? And to go through this stuff where I feel like I have to be, I have to be working on something all the time. And so like where you're saying, like, I have to take my content that I've, that I've, that I've got here. I've got something that's going to be valuable. And I think there's a huge draw for just more and more, like as this community grows as, as hunters and anglers, and then even as these wild game chefs that have that have come in or cooks that are really concerned with, with their wild game and where their protein's coming from. I think the, I don't want to say flooding the audience with that, but at the same time having so many points of view uh, from very educated and knowledgeable people, I think there's a huge drive for that. And I know if I see Harvesting Nature up on YouTube, you betcha, click, I'm going to be all over that. Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I think 2021 is going to be a fun year. I think by looking at both of our uh, both of our resolutions, and hopefully, like you said, they, they spread to others. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it's one of those things that, you know, we can, we can think about losing a little bit of weight, but at the same time, you can lose, lose a little bit of weight with that sweat equity, equity we were talking about. If you got to go clean a river, that that's a few calories right there. You got to be yeah. able to swim and haul that tire that's been down there for who knows how long <laughs> out of that river. So it's going to burn calories. There's two for one right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Justin, we have come to the crescendo of our episode <laughs> tonight. Uh, we've talked about our resolutions. We've talked about, about what 2021 is going to be looking like. But now we're going to jump back into that culinary side. And I've got two dishes that I'm putting before you that you've got to be able to then break those down for me. And I might interject a couple times just to uh, see what else uh, you're doing with said method or how that's being prepared. But your first dish, uh, I am opening it up to the whole idea of wild game. And that's kind of how we started our our episode this evening. Uh, You get to choose rabbit or squirrel, but I need to have a winter dish because we are getting some snow here sometime soon. I don't know if it's going to be January uh, we, we've lucked out with no snow right now, but it's cold, but we're going to be chasing the bunnies and the squirrels here soon. What do I need to make out of some small game? So I'm leaning towards, uh, squirrels on this one. I know despite me saying that rabbit was my favorite, um, I definitely think that squirrels are something fun to hunt, uh, this time of year. So, um, I would say squirrel chili. And this isn't really like, you know, a lot of people think about chili and you think about uh, ground meat, but we're just going to do like shredded meat. So it's going to be braised. So you braise the squirrel meat first. And that's, uh, for me, it's really twofold. 
as a, a really great use of it because one, you're going to use that braising liquid as your stock in the chili. So, and then two, you're going to, uh, you're going to have basically the shredded chili. And for all those people that are from Texas and that like to tell me that beans don't belong in chili, <laughs> I'm putting beans in this chili. Yes. Yes. <laughs> not, not so, to say eat that Texas, but, uh, yes. Yeah. I just, man, it's such a point of, of combat often. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Beans can go in chili, and Texas doesn't own chili. I'll say that. Wow, that's bold. That's a very bold statement. I'm from Oklahoma. We've we've got an un, an un I wouldn't say unannounced. It's an announced feud with Texas. So, <laughs> um, uh, so so this is already it's a it's a cooked squirrel even before we it goes in. So I'm when I think of a chili, like just like you said, like I, I literally brown the meat and then build it from that point. You're, you're braising the squirrel. Are you starting that with just water, or are you going in with with a stock at that point, like a, either a wild game so, or a small game stock, or are you going in with just a chicken stock? Uh, I, I always try to go, if I can, I go with a wild game stock um, just for anything. And that goes for making soups. That goes for making stews. That's if I'm braising. I actually have – I got this tip. I think it's from um, – from – Randy King, uh, he and I talked a while back and he said he's got a running, a running like braising liquid that he keeps, uh, for sometimes like braising and, and cooking stuff in, which this, this one, it doesn't necessarily apply, but I'm definitely reaching into the freezer and grabbing game stock, uh, for this. So, um, and then that'll basically just double down on the flavor of the squirrel. So you just season your squirrel regularly, salt, pepper, whatever, and then you're um, you're putting them in there, and also adding in um, some beer. I would say beer and chili peppers, like ancho chilies. You know the dried ones. Oh yeah. Yep. So that's going to create your like an amazing base uh, for the the chili itself, okay. and you're going to build it. So you're really building it from the liquid. Um, but you're going to hold a lot of your flavor. So would this be, because all of a sudden in my mind I got, and because I'm from the Midwest, um, I was getting this idea of, with squirrel to be a, uh, a white chili, but th- this is still going in the idea of a, of a red chili at this point where yep. it's going to be the ancho chilies. Yeah. I mean, normal tomatoes are going in here at a point. Is, is that the, the same there or do you have, it's just the ancho chilies that you're throwing in. No, so I, you're going to at a point, but you're gonna do you're gonna fire up the grill and you're gonna grill the onion, you grill bell pepper, and you're gonna grill uh, the tomatoes. Get them a little charred, and that's gonna give you a nice like smoky flavor in your chili. That's just naturally gonna happen because of the the char. Nice, nice. See, I love the, where this direction is going. This is gonna be something that I yeah I haven't done chili with squirrel yet, and to go red to go red on on a squirrel i think that's going to be something very interesting yep um and after that you're going to mix in the beans uh you know your standard like tomato paste that gives it that little bit of sweetness that you find in, in chili chili powder of course cumin oregano and then i added in a little extra chipotle uh ground chipotle pepper in there just to give it a little extra kick because the the ancho while it being a pepper is not super 
super spicy. Um, it gives more of a smoky element. So adding that ground chipotle pepper in there, or you can use cayenne or whatever you have, but adding that in would really like bring some some heat to the the chili if you like that. Good deal. We'll we'll add a little bit. I'm getting better. I'm getting better with the heat. Um, it's I'm a, sure it's a progression. It is. I Jeremiah, you know Jeremiah out from uh, from Field to Plate, uh, yep. out there in in Southern California. Yeah, he uh, he made fun of me for being in the Midwest that all my food is bland. So I I took it upon myself as <laughs> maybe as a resolution to be like, you know what? I can I can eat hot food. Well, I slow little increments, baby steps again. But uh, yeah, Chipotle has become a, a favorite element that I've used into stuff. I don't know if it just takes the hard edge off the jalapeno, but I really mm-hmm. enjoy that Chipotle. I mean, it's the same pepper, but I really enjoy that chipotle versus a fresh jalapeno. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I actually have a – I don't – I don't say I do too well. I don't do too well with fresh jalapenos. Um, the, the the capsaicin kind of bothers me. And um, so I'll, I'll tend – I use lean on the side of dry for a lot of my recipes. So dried or smoked uh, chilies. Nice. That was a great hit off for that small game. I did not expect that. <laughs> well, it's good though. It's 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 a good one. I would say that's a good recipe to keep in your back pocket. And I think too, if you know what, if if you're out hunting and you're out hunting for squirrels and the opportunity comes up to take a rabbit, you could do the same with rabbit. One hundred percent. Good deal. Good deal. I a lot of times when we do go small game, it usually ends up being more of a a pot meal. We'll, uh, I mean, we just do the, at that point, because it's quick and easy, you skin them, you quarter them and, uh, everything gets either fried or like, you know, roasted and then, um, basically served chicken fried style here in, mm-hmm. in Michigan. And that, at that same point, like, you know, you, you hunt during the day, everybody comes back. It's a real easy thing to do while everybody's sitting around, everybody can have the meal and then clean up and, and everybody's home again. Um, but I like the idea of, you know, what, whatever's left, or if it's like, Hey, I'll take them and then, uh, we'll, we'll shred these tomorrow and then we'll have a big, we'll have a big pot of chili. That's the, that's a cool thing that I have that I just did not expect. Yeah. It's it's good to get, get a little communal meal out of too. Maybe not like you said, the day of, but the next day. Yeah. Well, chili, chili's better on the next day always, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. The flavors have time to marry and all that stuff. It, it it just gives it time to settle. This may be, this is a one, we just got done with 1A. This is going to be 1B. With squirrel being a whitish meat, what type of beer would you pair with that? And I hope this time that you pick something from the Midwest. <laughs> If you know, oh, if you follow along with uh, the Harvesting Nature podcast, they uh, they had a whole episode on pairing beers, and it was a fabulous episode. But it was definitely heavily weighted on the coasts. So, so in in my defense, <laughs> um, we had so uh, Dan Renna, who's on that, and he's a heavy. Uh, beer connoisseur as, as is myself he, he's from the east coast and uh prior to being in key west i was in san diego so uh san diego being sort of one of the west coast meccas for beer that was a lot of my uh 
a lot of my beer experience. Gotcha. I would say. Gotcha. But I do find a lot of, I mean, the United States is great. I, I appreciate so much the emergence of craft breweries in the United States. It's great. I see someone who's got equal passion for beer as I do for wild game. And I think it's amazing just to see some of these breweries pop up. Yeah. Yeah. To have just new places come up and then a passion for, for what they're doing. So no, this don't, don't take this as an, as a uh, dig at all. (laughs) It was just my opening that, yeah, I just noticed there was a lot of, a lot of stuff coming from the West coast, stuff from the East coast. And here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, we actually got the, they have a big contest and the thing was, it was beer city USA. And it was this panel that would go around and like taste craft brews from each of these different cities. And then it was like also like the culture of people that were there. And then they award basically the this year's Beer City USA and like Asheville, North Carolina had it for, I think, three years running. And out of the blue, Grand Rapids, Michigan, like takes the cake. Like we get it and we're like, yeah. And then they just stopped doing the competition. Like, it just folded. They didn't have any more money. They said, well, that was enough. That was a good run. So then it was like, well, now it's ours forever. So we've just held on to this Beer City USA for, like, I don't know, the past, like, three years. But everybody's like, listen, that whole contest is done. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We still got it. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. It's it's turned into such a great thing, too. Like... It's cool. Unfortunately, we don't have, we only have like one brewery here in Key West that kind of, it kind of serves, it serves good beer, but um, definitely not what I was used to on the West Coast. Right. So. Well, again, like you said, two miles by five miles, it's it's kind of hard to find hops or local hops anyway. Yep. <laughs> yep. So back to my original question. If you were to serve a kind of beer uh, with our squirrel chili, what would you throw out there? I, I would probably go with a pale ale. Straight up, nice, easy pale ale. I like it. Yeah. Go with the blonde. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it nice and crisp, too. I think it, it's a uh, – um, the finish is good enough that it'll kind of help battle the heat, too. So if there you do you go. go for a little spicier, yeah. That's good to know. I'll keep the blonde because, yeah, I'll probably get heavy-handed with the spice because I'm always trying to – one up my next, like, all right, I'm ready for level two. No, 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 I'm not ready for level two. Bring bring, bring back the beer. <laughs> well, so uh, another reason I say the blonde is, too, is is um, you want, I, I think, too, when pairing wild games beer, that you want to uh, avoid something that is um, heavier and sweeter. No, I wouldn't say, like, heavier in color, but, like, more robust in flavor and sweeter because that's that sweetness in the beer is going to often overpower the game. Like something that's drier is going to like come off your, your tongue a little more quickly, which will allow the flavor of the dish to hit you. That makes sense. Perfect sense. Perfect sense. Yeah. So, and that's, I, I've been working and talking a lot with one of my buddies, John, who's a, I would say a beer connoisseur and, and that's uh, through our conversations and my education further into beer. That's that's one of his primary standing points is uh, sometimes less is best. Ooh, that's a that's a catchy tagline right there. Less is best. So, 
all right, this is just a random question then. So I'm going back to the braising thing again. Let's say I'm doing okay. a, a piece of venison, whether it be elk, whitetail, mule, moose, whatever it is, what that is. And I'm going to braise it down, and I want to use a beer to do it. Um, what kind of, like, dark beer? Because a stout would be – would that be too much then if I'm going to just use that as a, as a mere, like, braise liquid for that? Or am I gonna? Is, am I okay with going with that dark of a beer? Um, I think in the braising aspect, you are. I think you're gonna impart some flavors from the beer um, that are definitely not going to um, overpower the flavor of the food. Because then, like once once you're preparing the food, you're sort of you're combining all these ingredients together. You're mingling all the flavors. Once you're done with the dish and you're ready to sit down at the table and eat it and you want to crack your beer open and pour it in a glass and drink it, you don't want to just taste the beer. You want the beer to enhance the meal. So that's why I kind of say that. But in the preparation stage, it's I think it's certainly okay to go with like a, a stout or a darker beer when you're braising something, especially if you're looking at like those warm, hearty, like wintry fulfilling dishes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I, I think I love a shank, just a shank. That's just been yeah. hours, you know, in the Dutch oven. And my go-to grab has always been, um, whatever cooking wine that we have just like half open, half bottle. Like that's usually mm-hmm. my go-to grab on that. But, you know, jumping in again, if it's like super cold, like, man, I want something really dark. I want to really throw in something that's going to have some pop to it. And I've always looked at that, uh, the stout idea. It's just, you know, either I, either I drink it quick enough that I don't have any more or it's, you know, well, I got to finish off this bottle of red. So no, that was good, good info on that. So that, thank you very much for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. The second one, this one, you get a broad selection of your wild game. This can be both with fin or uh, or hoof, but it's the date night. It's got more weight because right now you are cooking on this date night. For some odd reason, the kids are all off to the babysitters for the night and pets are put away. You have nothing on the agenda, just you and your wife. I want to know what her favorite protein is that's going to be the wild game base, so maybe that does kind of narrow things down a little bit. And then how are you going to prepare it that's going to make this date night go just right? Oh, well, first off, here's a confession for those who don't know me. If you haven't listened to the podcast, and I mentioned it before. So my wife does not eat meat. So she eats only seafood. So that limits it down. And that I mean, does. Seafood this now fresh- gets really hard for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh so seafood, freshwater fish, all all that jazz. Just no no red meat, no chicken, no wild game. Um, our kids eat wild game. I eat wild game uh, and other meats, but uh, that's kind of the the composite of the Townsend household when it comes to that. So um, I actually made this the other day, and she was really she really enjoyed it. So I think I would probably I would make it again. And it's not overly fancy because I, I don't always think that like. In those special moments, you don't always have to go for an overly fancy meal. You just want something that, one, you can execute, you know, without too much stress and maybe something you've done before, like a favorite meal. Um, and then, two, something that, that 
you're, you're there, you're having the state nights to spend time with each other too. Not necessarily spend all your time in the kitchen. That's so, a very good point right there. That's not only yeah. just a pro tip as far as being a, a culinary master, but that's just being straight up badass husband right there. Good work. <laughs> Thanks. So, uh, I did some seared tuna burgers. So and, now uh, ground or more of like a, uh, just a whole piece. So a so filet, cubed. I should say. Cubed, cubed, actually. Yeah. So think of like a like a poke bowl, but um, essentially you're going to take the elements of the poke bowl and you're going to mix into the the burger itself, and it's not going to go on the grill um, because you're not really holding it together with very much because I don't like a lot of, uh, a lot of breadcrumbs and other things in there. Like I'll use a little bit of panko, but I think if you get heavy handed in that stuff, you lose some of the flavor from the fish. Gotcha. Um, so I would though, you're, you're going to go soy sauce, teriyaki, rice, wine, vinegar, sesame oil. That's going to be kind of your liquid and you'll add the panko crumbs in there. And then cayenne, black pepper, garlic powder, and, you know, I I cut my teeth in the kitchens in New Orleans, so Cajun seafood seasoning is definitely going to be in there. Awesome. So you've cubed this up, and then mm-hmm. uh, you said just a little bit of panko. Um, you said your seasoning and your your, uh, your mix there is yep. – th- there's no other binder at that point. There's not an egg white or an egg yolk or nothing in there? Nope, nope. So you do have to take a little bit of care when you're handling it in the pan. Like this is one of those too. And I, and I talk to a lot of people like um, whenever you put stuff in the pan, if you want a good sear, if you want it to cook, you put it in there and you don't touch it. You don't touch it till it, it feels like it's ready to go. It's ready to flip. So you're, you're looking on this one to move the patties the least amount in the pan. And I say pan, I'd probably use a cast iron pan for this one. Uh, just to get a nice sear on it. Gotcha. Get that sucker ripping hot. And the other reason that I don't want to use egg as a binder in this is because it's tuna, and tuna you don't have to cook all the way through, right? But mm. if you introduce the if you introduce the egg as a binder, now you have a potential to introduce bacteria in it that if you don't cook it all the way through, it could get you sick. Gotcha. Yeah. This is going to be a tough one to do. For, for us in the Great Lakes because we are we're the freshwater shore up here and what all the, of our stuff's got to get cooked pretty good. I mean we've got some yeah. salmon is probably well we got salmon and we have rainbow trout, steelhead and we've got some of the freshwater stuff in there. Could I do that same thing with like a, a steelhead or a or a king salmon? Uh, yeah. as far as cube it up, make that I yeah, I I guess I would I'd probably cook it a little bit more than I would a piece of fresh tuna. But anyway, that's the, I guess that's the nature I, of the beast that I have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's definitely doable. And I think it's something that you could do just, yeah, like you said, cook it, cook it all the way through. Good so. deal. Yeah. Um, like your wife, mine loves uh, fish at that point. Seafood's a big thing for her, uh, especially salmon. We'll get a whole fillet of salmon. And we'll do well. Half of it will be for the supper, and then the other half gets broken up for lunch the next day. Um, whether it goes to work with us or or we're at home. So man, this is a, this is a great one. So you've got the patty set up. What are you dressing it with? You got a you got a mayo you're making up, or are you going? Uh, so what are I'm, you going with it? 
I'm, I'm going to go with like a shredded cheese, so like a white cheddar or something like that. It's nothing, nothing too overly sharp um, that's going to overpower. But just like what, whatever you feel comfortable with, whatever you like. I'm a big, uh, I like Fontina cheese. It's kind of a softer, milder cheese, but I think it's got a really good nutty flavor that pairs with a lot of foods. So I would probably shred some of that on there, and then I'd go spinach uh, just because I like spinach. And uh, spicy mayo. So you can buy pre-made spicy mayo or you can take mayonnaise and mix it with like sriracha or one of your whatever hot sauce you like and make kind of your own spicy mayo. And then, boom, that's it. Bam. Justin, you came out. I, I threw this two-dish breakdown at you, and you threw at me a squirrel chili and a tuna burger. I tell you, you you done really good tonight. This is there's a lot out of here to glean. I hope people are going to pay attention and take notes. I hope so. They're both fun recipes. Uh, I, I think cooking both is good time. So, and gotcha. they're delicious naturally. The main goal you want them to be good, right? And on both of these, like you were displaying, they they were simple, and it lets mm-hmm. the protein sing. You know, when when you say mm-hmm. squirrel chili, the the squirrel. I mean, you've, you've braised it, but at the same time, the squirrel's not hidden in a whole bunch of elements. And for yeah. your, your tuna burger, like, I don't want a lot that's going to be taking over from the tuna. I want you, when you bite it, to know that that is a piece of tuna. So it lets the protein sing in both these dishes. 100%. And I would probably say, I'm going to add the third one in. I guess it's just me. Loving some of the ideas uh, that you guys are doing over there at, at uh, Harvesting Nature. But whoever came up with the uh, taking the little bit of mayonnaise and spreading that onto a lean piece before it hits the grill or the, uh, the skillet, that is a home run tip right there. That is one that I use all the time is right before my, you know, either either my steaks or uh roasts before they even get the the sear treatment they just get a little brush of mayo i mean just almost translucent and i tell you that crust that it makes on the outside way better if i you know way better than if i did nothing else to it it's uh I, i'm glad you brought that up i think i i came across that um a while back um i think it was some part in the early part of the year and ended up like doing a little research on it and yeah it, it it struck me as odd i was like wait why would you ever put mayo on a steak and then yeah sure enough i, I ran it through the gambit and i was like this is definitely great so i wanted to share it with uh with everyone but it, it does so much like unexpected it's a combination of the egg and the oil um that emulsion uh, helps in the Maillard, Maillard, I can never say it right, Maillard reaction, which gives you that nice brown crunch. Yeah, and on something that you know, normally easily goes gray if you don't have it hard enough, piece of whitetail, um, it just, you don't get that effect unless you got a super hot grill going and or a super hot oven, and at that point you also risk the chance of cooking that thing too much, and so there's like that balance. Mm-hmm. And just having that little bit of mayo on there, oh, I mean, just translucent. You're just literally putting a skim coat on the outside of that. It just gives you a bit of a bit of a buffer there that I don't have to have it on that direct coal for 
as long as I would to try and get this cool effect on the outside. I can still have that and have my medium rare at the same time. Yep. Perfect. Well, Justin, we're going on an hour here, well over an hour here as I look at the ticker. <laughs> this has been an awesome chat. Um, where can folks find more out about you? Where can they find uh, more about Harvesting Nature so that they can join in uh, to our discussion and checking out the cool recipes that you guys are putting together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for for Harvesting Nature itself, harvestingnature.com, um, we have... Uh, we put out pretty much daily articles, either adventure articles that our riders are taking you along hunting and fishing adventures, uh, news articles. We're doing stuff. We're very food centric, as you may have learned from this uh, this podcast episode. <laughs> but um, we also share uh, at least twice a week. We're sharing wild game recipes, and that that may not be just from me. It's coming from the other riders as well. And then uh, we have a weekly podcast, which I host, called uh, Wild Fish and Game Podcast. And uh, it's just a really great opportunity. We have guests on there. Sometimes it's just us chatting. We'll kind of travel, too, uh, as well, and take you on some of our hunts, and we'll break down those also. Uh, but once again, super food-focused, so we get a lot into the technicality. So if you like this episode tonight, then you would enjoy one of our episodes as well, because we really get deep into the weeds sometimes as far as uh as cooking stuff and as far as my personal um stuff so obviously editor-in-chief of harvesting nature so you're going to see the majority of my writing there uh we do have a cookbook eat wild game which came out in about 2017 and then uh look for my written work and recipes on meat eaters website uh, backcountry hunter and anglers traeger outdoors uh, a lot of different places. Um, Taste of the Wild, which is outdoor news. You'll see you'll see a pop up article in there now and then. Um, but really, just keep an eye out because we're we're trying to get everywhere, knocking out that uh, 2021 resolution. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, keep the content flowing. Well, Justin, if you just hold on here for a sec, I'm gonna send my uh, listeners on out, folks. I hope you had that pen and paper ready, and I hope that you are as eager as I am to get back into the kitchen and try uh, not only just the dishes that we were breaking down earlier, but just to be uh, after this whole idea of New Year's coming up and making some of these resolutions. Whether you're you know, into the resolution and you're wanting to improve yourself, or even if you're going to take some of the stuff we've talked to and really put some action steps to it. Overall, I think this venison diplomacy and wild game diplomacy is going to be a great resolution for all of us in this community to kind of bring up and take along with us. And if you want to be able to volunteer, that's also good as well. So folks, make sure you're checking out those resolutions. And hopefully, one of the biggest ones that you have this year is to keep your knives sharp.